It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in today. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians. And here we are in chapter 8. Last week, we only got through three verses. Now, you should know by now that when I say we only got through three verses, we cover a number of other support texts throughout Scripture. That's that's important. Whenever we study God's Word, we need to translate Scripture with other Scripture. In fact, whenever we cite Scripture, we really should do the, the due diligence to go and read the text above it and below it to make sure it's used in proper context. We'll get into that as we get later into this study of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. But last week, we really uh, highlighted a great deal, or at least Apostle Paul did for us, that we expounded on, was this understanding that we are accumulating a great deal of knowledge through God's Word. And hopefully you're attending church every week. Maybe you're going once a week, maybe a couple times a week, whatever that might be. And then hopefully you're in devotions on a daily basis as well. And what we can find ourselves doing is sitting and soaking, really taking in a lot of content, and then finding ourselves not applying that content as we should. In fact, maybe getting a little calloused towards those around us, disgruntled by their lifestyle, their sin, and removing ourselves from the equation rather than being salt and light and and being change agents in this world, ambassadors for Jesus Christ, able to hold firm to what is truth, but doing so with agape love, as the Apostle Paul will tell us as we'll get later on into the study about love is that if we have all of this knowledge, if we are able to even prophesy and do all these wonderful things, but yet have not love, then we've, we've missed it all. We're, we're nothing but a clanging symbol, right? And so the point of all of this, and we titled this particular message, is knowledge just add love. And again, we only got through the first few verses here. So let's pick up where we left off last week. And just knowing that the context here is about these individuals who are in the church, some are very mature in their faith, as Paul's addressing this church in Corinth, some very mature in their faith and and understanding their freedom that they have in Christ Jesus, that they're not shackled by the 613 ordinances of the Torah laws, uh, although it doesn't mean that we're free then to do whatever we want. Rather, in fact, Paul will instruct us many times throughout the book of Romans to not use our freedom in Christ as a license for sin, but rather this freedom in Christ creates a lifestyle of worship rather than a singular Sabbath. Every day is a Sabbath unto the Lord. We're sacrificing unto him every day by our offering of ourselves, taking up our cross to follow him. All of the ordinance having been nailed to the cross that were against us in Colossians. Uh, And yet we find ourselves living, blending right in with the culture around us rather than using our freedom in Christ to actually uh, elevate and grow deeper in our worship elevate our our understanding of him, our knowledge of him, but then demonstrating that in a way that is tangible, that people can measurably even see the fruit that come out of this new life, this relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be self-evident. And so let's pick up here after verse 3. Let's read verses 4 to 6. We read, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols... 
We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, and these are lowercase, yet for us there is one God, uppercase, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we live. Okay, so he's really highlighting here that we know that, that we have all of this false worship going on around us and pagan idolatry going on all around us. And so we're, we're not oblivious to this reality. But here he really highlights this food sacrifice to idols, the very question that they're imploring of to Paul, how do we handle this? It's just meat. But how it's been used in dishonoring God is a stumbling block for us. And then this is a very viable question. We're surrounded by this all the time. I'll get into this a little bit later, but let me just highlight a little earlier here for you that if you think about everything that we're surrounded by, many people are concerned about doing any business, uh, purchasing things from companies that they know are dishonoring God. If, If you have a cell phone plan, chances are the company that's providing that cell service for you is using some of those proceeds to dishonor God, giving to things that you wouldn't support. Even our taxes may be used in ways that you don't believe they should be used, and it may even be dishonoring God. So we're surrounded by this today. It's just labeled a little differently. So we need to cut them some slack that here it seems to be, well, we don't we don't deal with going to the grocery store and picking up meat that was used and sacrificed to an idol, do we? Uh, there, there are same ways of doing old things, uh, nothing new under the sun. We're surrounded by things that are dishonoring God and the way we do business and business with other people, individuals who don't even know Jesus Christ and how they use those funds to dishonor God. So we are surrounded by this, and we need to to pay heed and, and careful attention to this study. It's, it's going to come full circle here, and I believe will apply in the here and now. So this food sacrifice to idols, this is a the Greek word that's used there, was specific to Christian circles in the first century, precisely because of the concern over the issue of how to handle food that had been offered to idols. I find that fascinating that a word had to be created for this situation because it was so uh, so evident, so frequent in their culture. And so these Christians were very familiar with this practice. So Paul is affirming the knowledge that the Corinthian Christians have of this one God. He's affirming that. They they know that there's only one God, and it's him who they worship. And that's supported in Isaiah 44, 6-8. So this is critical in a polytheistic society of which we are still a part of. Uh, Satan doesn't want to be worshipped or doesn't command us or desire to be worshipped exclusively. He just wants to also be worshipped. He never seems to have a problem with the polytheistic environments. He just doesn't want the God of heaven and earth to be worshipped. So he's perfectly fine with people worshipping as many false gods as they want. I mean, even in Saudi Arabia at the Kaaba, at Mecca, there there was 360 idols that were inside of it, one for every day of the year from a 360 calendar. 
In Hinduism, there's more than a million different false gods. In the Greek culture in Athens, there were more false gods than were, there were citizens. So Satan doesn't seem to have an issue with polytheism. He just doesn't want the soul god, the real god, being worshipped. He, he wants his heart to be broken. He wants us to betray loyalty to Almighty God. And, and God will attribute our relationship with him a lot like a husband to a wife of that kind of loyalty that we should be undivided in our loyalty according to Ezekiel chapter 16. So here, uh, it's, it's interesting, Paul is really confirming that was stated a number of times throughout Scripture about the foolishness of idols, that these idols have no power, cannot do anything. They're carved by man's hands. One side of the log carved by man's hands and worshipped, while the other side of the log is tossed into the fire. It's like, well, if that wood was that precious, why would you burn one part of it and worship the other part? It's foolishness. And this is cited in Scripture in Jeremiah 16, Isaiah 44, and Leviticus 19. One of the best examples, of course, is in Psalm 115, 3 to 8, where we read, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears they have, but they do not they do not hear. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. You see also in, in 2 Chronicles 13, 9, Isaiah 37, Jeremiah 2, Acts 14, amongst many others. So, in fact, the basis for what Paul has shared seems to be pulled directly from Isaiah 44, 6 to 20. So go back and reread all of Isaiah chapter 44 when you have a moment. But, but let me just point out that idol worship still happens in our world today, as I mentioned. The atheism does not exist. Man is a worshiper, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11. Everybody worships something. The critical question is who or what we worship. We either worship the one true God or we worship false gods. John Calvin stated the heart of man is an idol factory. Okay, so left to himself without divine revelation, man will worship almost anything. We worship what we highly esteem. For this reason, Jesus says, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God, according to Luke 16, 15. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me, according to Exodus 20, verse 3. So besides the idols of television, money, power, position, all the things that we could possibly come up with in our, imagina our imaginations, these things that divide us from our time with God, that do you realize that despite our advancements in society, there is truly nothing new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes 1.9. Our world is filled with idol worship at its primal sense. Again, let me just talk about what's going on around us. An object that represents a false god is prominent, as I mentioned, within Hinduism. There's 1.08 billion people, 15% of the world's population, that has a million plus gods within their religion. Islam, the Kaaba in Mecca, for example, has 1.8 billion people, 24% of the world's population, are now it, it consider themselves to be a worshiper of Islam, therefore worshiping a false god and an object of that false god. Buddhism has some 535 million people, or 7 to 8% of the world's population, and Roman Catholicism 
has 1.3 billion people, almost 20% of the world's population. When you add all that together, that means that 5 billion people on the earth follow a religion that utilizes statues of false gods to evoke a form of worship with just four religions alone. Now, how many religions are there in the world? 4,200 at last count. That means 4,200 religions and just four of those account for 5 billion people using objects within their worship, idols, as part of their worship. So out of 7.4 billion people on the earth today, many estimates suggest that there are only 600 million Bible-believing Christians. Although that is significant, that number accounts for just over 8% of the total population of the earth. Okay, so this is nothing new under the sun. People are still worshiping objects today, and those objects take many form. Again, Satan doesn't care about the number of things that we're worshiping, just as long as our loyalty to Yahweh is defiled. So the world isn't becoming less religious. Rather, we're turning to the deception of the enemy and following the false doctrines of man. We go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. We read, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables." So in 1 Corinthians 8, 4-6, Paul's explaining that even though idols are fictitious gods, people are ascribing to worship them even today. And Paul reminds the Corinthians that there is only one God who's worthy of worship, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ with him. So the way the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are spoken of together here is a clear indication of the deity of Christ. Again, throughout Paul's writings, he constantly reaffirms that, that God the Father and the Son are one with the Holy Spirit. So calling Jesus Lord is a way of affirming his deity and the oneness with Yahweh, according to Philippians 2 verse 11. So Paul will highlight this even more in in Colossians chapter 1. He really goes into more detail. Colossians 1, 15 to 18, we read, and this is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So if we go back here to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's arguing that in the same way that the Godhead is one, we should seek to then be one body of Christ. Okay, so this requires understanding that love is more important than our freedom because we are our brother's keeper, okay? We have to look out for each other's well-being. Even those less mature believers who may get easily offended by something when you are living fully in the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ, you need to use responsible measures and actions around those who could easily trip up with a stumbling block you may place unintentionally if you are not looking out for their well-being. So we need to limit our freedoms 
for the sake of love when we are being mindful that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to challenge us to look out for our brothers and sisters because we love them and have their best spiritual interest at heart. Let's go on here, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 8, we read, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience is being weak and defiled, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Okay, so here's talking really about, he's highlighting the consciousness of all of this, that we're consciously aware that this idol is not a real thing, but yet this food has been offered to this. We now have a conscience that some who have a weak conscience that's now being defiled all because of food that may be consumed versus others who see that is nothing. It's not a big matter. But the ones who may see it as a big deal are not taking heed and being mindful to the weaker brother who thinks it to be a big deal. They just are treating them sort of like a, a fool. Like, you shouldn't be bothered by that. Why would you then, uh, you know, be, be easily tripped up by such a thing? Well, uh, Paul goes on. Paul uses this term conscience uh, often in the in, throughout his books. I, I mean, this is a consistent theme. Uh, First Corinthians, uh, First and Second Corinthians use this great deal, as well as Acts chapter twenty-three, Acts twenty-four, and First Peter three. So even Peter gets in on that subject. So the weaker Christians in Corinth, those not mature in their faith, we should say, they felt it was a sin to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Perhaps it was because of their upbringing. Maybe they had earlier habits or a former lifestyle. Maybe God had delivered them from an environment in which their family members had participated in idol worship and that meat used in that offering. So we always have to be mindful of the roots that someone has taken into their current position. Uh, you know, everything, the layers of their life that have led to where they are today, we really don't pay a lot of attention to that or be sensitive to, to their upbringing. So after all, God's judgment came upon Israel as recorded in Numbers chapter 25 for eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, and it's mentioned as a reason for the wrath of God. However, in the full context, it demonstrates that the Israelites had engaged in idolatry. Okay, so it wasn't just about the meat, it was about the whole practice that they were giving in to idol worship. It says in Numbers chapter 25, verse 2, they, the Moabites, invited the people, the Israelites, to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So the meat was an element within the participation of breaking the first and second commandments. It was simply a bait into a lifestyle or behavior or even an opportunity of giving bended knee to something else other than God. So even the apostles had forbidden the partaking of things offered to idols in Acts chapter 15, verses 20 to 29, as a, as a reiteration of the seven oral commands that had been given to Noah by God. But, but a fuller rev revelation of this given to Paul gave further understanding, delineating the difference of purchasing meat used in pagan practices rather than engaging in the practice itself. And this is a point he stresses further in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That, that's where the Christians were getting hung up in this, that when they were eating meat sacrificed to idols because they were giving in 
to that practice of idolatry. This is not what they're engaging in here. They were purchasing meat at a store that they know had been used partially in pagan practices, though they themselves had not participated in it. So again, they were thinking the meat was defiled. So we battle this today, okay? We deal with these things today, believe it or not. Listen, let me just try to paint a picture for you. If you just left a YMCA and drove to the airport in a Nissan General Motors vehicle, Toyota, Ford, Chrysler, or even a John Deere tractor that had fuel in it from Shell or Exxon and oil from Jiffy Lube or AutoZone, and it was insured by Geico, Allstate, Progressive, State Farm, or USAA while you were wearing Nike shoes and clothes that you bought from Marshalls, Abercrombie & Fitch, Banana Republic, Calvin Klein, Kohl's, Old Navy, Haynes Dollar General or even Costco or Walmart while you were talking on your phone that you have service provided by AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint or Verizon while finishing your snack of Tostitos, perhaps you picked up from Taco Bell, Papa John's, Qdoba, Hershey's, Nestle or while you were sipping on your Starbucks or Seattle's Best Coffee and then you boarded a plane on US Airways, American Airlines or Southwest made by Boeing or Lockheed Martin and then you happen to watch the National Football League or NBC Universal on your computer during that flight on your IBM or HP computer running Microsoft, Oracle, or Adobe, or even a computer with an Intel chip in it as a processor, you have just supported only a few of the 200-plus companies that have contributed to Planned Parenthood. So you can find the whole list at familycouncil.org, familycouncil.org. So you see the example I just laid out for you there. If you aligned with any of those brands at any point today, then you have participated unknowingly or maybe even knowingly in, in the giving or efforts to support something that goes directly against God's holy word. So you see, this isn't just a church in Corinth problem. This is a problem that we are dealing with today. So the reality is, is we can try to avoid all these transactions as much as we like by way of corporate boycotts. But in the end, it's very difficult to operate autonomously in this world without some transaction that causes us to cringe, especially, especially when you think about it, that we're not of this world in John 17, 16. So there was a famine going on during the time of Paul that he was writing to this church in Corinth, and he was letting them know that bottom line, it was okay to eat the meat that was used in a pagan practice because believers know the truth, and he'll give more detail on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But the greater mission is not to feed our bellies. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, according to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. So the greater mission is to live in total service to the King of Kings, even at the expense of our personal freedom. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we must be sensitive to our spiritual brothers and sisters. We must learn to defer to them when it's appropriate, for in the end, what difference does it really make? whether we eat or not. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand here. If a brother of yours in the church has a real issue with Verizon, 
you may want to consider saying, you know what, I'll stand with you in that. I'll, I'll go to AT&T instead. You know, whatever. I'm just making an example here that we don't want our brothers to trip up over these sort of things. If they're passionate about it and they're trying to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord while they mature in their faith, let's not put a stumbling block before them. So, so Paul has put this in context earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, he said, foods are for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. So he then went on to say that the body is for God. And the fact is that the Lord Jesus would also clarify this issue in Matthew 15, 11, where we read, not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. So for those who belong to Christ, the ordinances of the law were nailed to the cross. As I mentioned in Colossians chapter 2, 14 to 17, uh, he'll say here in verse 16, I'll skip forward. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. So however, you know, Paul does have a word of warning. He says here in verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Again, beware or take care. This is a command that we must continually obey, that Christ's interest in the weaker brother is greater than his, his interest in you exercising your freedoms. Okay, so Paul acknowledges that we have liberty in Christ. Christian liberty is one of the central truths of the New Testament we see in John chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Galatians 5 and Romans 14. Yet it's possible to use our liberty and become a stumbling block to the weak. So a stumbling block may begin as an offense or a distraction that leads a fellow believer into what is sin for him or her. So a stumbling block is by definition a circumstance that causes difficulty or hesitation. For example, the consumption of alcohol could fall into this category. Paul tells Timothy to use a little wine to help his stomach in 1 Timothy 5.23. However, for some, a little wine could become a, a temptation, especially if they're recovering from being an alcoholic or living in an alcoholic family, seeing the destructive path of alcohol. So yes, you may have the freedom to consume of that, but we need to be mindful that that very consumption, especially in front of a weaker brother, may cause them to fall or go back, backsliding back into a path of sin. So so this is why we have to be mindful. Using the discernment of the Holy Spirit, it's imperative that we use discernment with regard to anything that involves the consumption of anything in the company of others, lest we create a stumbling block for them. Now, we'll read a little bit more of this next week. We're going to get into Romans chapter 14 and cover this more to greater detail, I believe. So I hope that at least you've, your interest has been piqued. We, I probably haven't had the time yet to answer all of the questions you may have on this subject. So, so bear with me. We've got quite a bit more to cover here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we have far, far too much to cover yet to, to even assume that we've answered any and all of the questions yet that you may have. So bear with me. Continue to stay with me in this study. If you do have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. Again, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday. We'd love to see you there as we go deeper into God's Word. Again, if you have questions, if you've missed prior studies, go back to calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for listening today. Take care.